Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. District of Conservation is sponsored by Real Camo Girl, a lifestyle brand for women who love the great outdoors, Spanning from hunting, fishing, foraging, archery, shooting sports, and the like. We are proud to have them as a sponsor, and you can learn more about them at www.realcamelgirl.com and follow them all across social media to learn more and get involved. Welcome to the 33rd installment of District of Conservation. I hope you guys have been enjoying the recent episodes of the series and doing your best to go outdoors, whether it's hunting, fishing, or foraging for morels, which is what some people are doing here in the area. I haven't found any yet, and I don't know if I get to go out to the field to seek them out, but I'm jealous of those who do. Today's guest is Robbie Kroger from Blood Origins, and you guys may have seen these videos circulating around social media, and you ought to. The tagline for Blood Origins is every pulse has a story. And Robbie does his best to highlight people all across the hunting sphere who are doing their best to humanize the sport and the livelihood much better. And we had a really interesting conversation. Check it out today. I'm excited. Absolutely. Describe your background you have a very interesting accent. I have no doubt people who follow you and who've marveled at your store video storytelling project so far are curious to know your background, how you came to the States. Who is Robbie Kroger? Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, you know, it's a good thing that you don't know who Robbie Kroger is because that's the point of the project. <laughs> um, the point of the project is not about me, right? It's about right. us and it's about our community. But a little bit of background about me. Yes, I have an accent. It's from <laughs> South Africa. Um, I wasn't born in South Africa. I was born in Brazil, actually. But really? I moved to South Africa when I was three. So essentially, I feel like I was born and raised in South Africa. Um, raised to a very diverse family. My father was Rush. Uh, my father was German. My grandfather is Russian, and my entire oh. mother's side of my family is Australian. Wow, uh, that's the dark side of my family. We don't like to talk about <laughs> the Australians. Um, and, uh, so yeah, we, you know, travel and storytelling and visiting different parts of the world and interacting with lots of different people essentially is part of my DNA and my heritage. And, um, I came to the States in 2003 to undertake a PhD in biology, um, and, uh, then met a blue eyed Southern belle. Yeah. <laughs> Oxford, Mississippi, and married her, and I uh, haven't left Mississippi. I now live in a little town called Bay St. Louis, Mississippi, right on the ah. Mississippi Gulf Coast, about an hour's east of New Orleans, and um, I work as a day job as the chief scientist of a small consulting company and uh, do the Blood Origins project uh, as a passion project, essentially, on the side. Interesting. Expand a little bit more about Blood Origins, how that came about, where did the concept originate from, and how has the outdoor industry responded to it so far? 
Because I think I, I came across it when you did Jeremiah's episode, Jeremiah yeah. Doughty's episode. And I was yeah. like, this is awesome. And for me, for me being a media strategist and someone whose job is to help tell stories or help clients tell their stories, I love how video storytelling has kind of evolved into this medium where it's almost inevitable and inescapable to see that in especially the outdoor industry. So talk a little bit about the project and how it came to be and, and how people are uh, digesting. Yeah, it's a good question. And, you know, on a daily basis, I'm, I'm humbled by just what you said, like people are know the project or interacting with the project. Um, the project was born out of a letter that my grandfather wrote to me in 1992, in which he type wrote on a on a essentially a piece of rice paper that hunting was in my blood. And I could only understand what that meant when I came to the States and explored everything that essentially American outdoor lifestyle has to offer. And um, the, the idea of blood origins is that hunting and, and who are supposed to be as outdoorsmen is, is in my blood. And I was, less than enamored about what I was seeing on outdoor television that was supposed to represent me as an outdoorsman and as a hunter. I was less than enamored of what I was seeing on social media that I was being represented as, as a hunter and outdoorsman. And so I also felt that we were missing the storytelling aspects of, of who we were. And so I decided to meld that all together essentially and create this project, which is at its heart, just that um, is to tell the heart of who the outdoorsman really is. We're not this group of bloodlusting killers, but rather we're a community of conservationists, restorationists, uh, people that are interested in familial heritage, people that have a true connection and an emotional bond to the animals that we choose to take the life of. And so I felt like nobody had really captured the emotional side of, of who we are as hunters. And I took that route. And uh, um, quite, as I said in the beginning, you know, every day we're humbled by the response that we're getting. And um, yeah, the outdoor industry didn't really know what to do with us <laughs> uh, about a year ago. But as I said, I think now we've almost... We've almost paid our dues a little bit. Um, a lot of people in the beginning were like, oh, yeah, 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 that sounds great. Yeah, that sounds like a really good idea. But didn't really have faith in what it was going to become. And, um, yeah, we're just going to keep pushing the envelope of what, what our heart looks like in this season now and, and even into the future. Yeah. Tell listeners what season is currently unfolding and, and an example of people you've profiled through the series yeah so right now we're in season three uh actually we've released two pieces of content in season three one was our, our film so every season we have a film we call them journeys um we don't live in the hunt space we're not going to film hunts that's not what we do um we film stories and journeys around either a hunt a species uh, a personality, a, a people group, you name it. Um, so 
as you said, of in season three, we released one episode, and that was Aaron Warburton at the beginning of season three. We've got another episode dropping next Friday, May 3rd. I don't know when this podcast will drop, but um, May 3rd. Oh, will be... before then. Okay, great. And so I'm not going to tell you who it is because we like to keep things <laughs> a little secret. Um, Very good. But in season one and two, you know, we've been humbled to record the who's who of the hunting industry already. Um, but that's not the point of the project. So we filmed Jim Shockey, we filmed Will Primos, we filmed Cuz Strickland, we filmed Jeremiah. But, you know, that's four of 20 pieces of content. The other 16 pieces are just like you and me, you know, general blue-collared hunters. And that's what we wanted to portray. We didn't want this, we didn't want this project to just be of the famous people, specifically hunters, but rather we wanted to be blue-collared Joe Blow just down the street story mixed in with obviously some some more well-known figures in the hunting space but we're also starting to dive into more well-known figures in the mainstream space that you wouldn't think that they're hunters but they're actually they actually are hunters that's very good and that kind of brings me to my next question about uh, video storytelling being one of the means that the industry as a whole, and the industry is, it's segmented and definitely divided, but there is an industry, it's pulsating, uh, people are taking notice of it, and people have different interests within the industry, but kind of the conglomerate as a whole, uh, a lot of people are using video storytelling, and I, I, I recommend it all the time to people, I say, if you can save enough money to have video storytelling as part of your marketing strategy, it's important. Mm -hmm. And we've talked privately offline about how hunting especially gets these relentless attacks mm -hmm. from people in the media, from non-consumers, from activists, from all these different types of players, media personalities, uh, athletes, whoever, and celebrities. And do you think with Blood Origins and story, video storytelling in general, it could help demystify? I know people are starting to become more curious because they see a video and videos leave impressions. But do you think, especially with the effort you're trying to bring about and, and just the medium as a whole, is it working? Is it going to be helping to change minds more effectively on the subject of hunting? Well, I hope so. Um... I, you know, we have a couple of examples already, and, 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 and actually we've got quite a few examples. The, the entire point of the project is to reach across the aisle to that non-hunting mainstream American to say, this is who we are. What you think about who we are is not true. This is more in tune with the 90% of the hunters. Yeah, 5% of the hunting community is always going to be the blood, guts, and gore kind of you know, part of the community, and we can't change that. There's, there's nothing we can do about that. Um, but I think that based on what I've seen and people that I've spoken with, you know, they're starting to say, wow, I, I had no idea. I had no idea that, you know, you spend so much time out there. I had no idea that it was this connectivity between your grandfather, your father, and yourself, and your kids, and, 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 and letting your kids explore the outdoors and, and connecting with nature. Um, I think the, I think video, I think you're correct. I think video storytelling has its place. I think video storytelling, though, done in the wrong way, doesn't help. Mm -hmm. There are <laughs> um, some examples that come to mind, yes. <laughs> and I think the, if somebody was listening and was like, man, I really want to get into the video storytelling world, 
the first thing I would say is do it because and, and do it with a, a a mindset of being authentic. The last thing you want is to come across as unauthentic or scripted because then it doesn't it just comes across as something else. You as soon as you lose your authenticity, then there's a perception that's brought up amongst who we are, but also, you know, tied in with the project. And as soon as we lose our authenticity in the project, I th- you know, I think we're done kind of thing. And so we pride ourselves on what you hear from people and the stories you're getting from people are true, authentic stories. They're not scripted at all. They're from the heart. And, and we pride ourselves in being able to, we pride ourselves in being able to dig a little bit and, and reveal some of those onion layers that some people may not have been able to uh, been able to do, say, on prior uh, video storytelling projects. It's very fascinating. You're absolutely right about anything when it comes to marketing or being active in something, video store, uh, being authentic and real. Everyone talks about this. I think with a lot of the ad agencies, you see everyone say, project authenticity, be mm-hmm. yourself. You, you see all these platitudes communicated and everyone is now saying like, yeah, let's not be fake. Let's be authentic. And I would say this, that your project is very authentic. I like that you kind of strip down to the rawness of hunters and people who are in that mindset. And that's so rare with any video storytelling project because you, you see a lot of outdoor content where it's like a kill shot or this. Yeah. or your typical stuff, but you don't get really into the mind of hunters or anglers or people. And that's what makes, I believe, your project stand out compared to a lot of people. And I hope others model their projects off of what you guys are doing uh, at Blood Origins. And it's, yeah, a lot of people talk about being authentic and then they project the opposite, which is such a sad thing. And a lot of people are very interested in how many followers can I obtain? How many likes <laughs> can I get? Uh, how many comments can I receive? And a lot of people want to, will sadly fall into that trap. A lot of impressionable people. Sometimes I see a lot of young women, unfortunately, fall into that trap. And they're like, well, I can be this outdoor celebrity and do this and and take over the world. And then they're not really uh, prepared to do it because you find out they're not authentic. And and this goes for guys, too. There are a lot of inauthentic people who buy their influence uh, quite prominently. They buy followers. Uh, they kind of rise meteorically too quickly and they come from nowhere and and leave you there. So if you don't have a steady approach to crafting an authentic voice, uh, it it will make you hard. It'll make it hard for you to stand out and you shouldn't feel any reservations or any doubts if it took a while for the outdoor industry to take a hold of your project, because it's better to be doubted and tried and tested and then win people's approval than just somehow get their attention super quickly, you burn out, and then you can't repair that relationship. So slow germination in trying to build people a curry favor is, is really good. So you, you have the right strategy in place as someone who's worked with a lot of the other outdoor communicators and, and what the more seasoned ones look for who have more power abilities and who are more powerful in a sense. Uh, that's you, I think you have the right strategy in place and, and people are kind of like, this is kind of new and a little foreign yeah. to me. Yeah. And, and it, yeah, it's, it's a little frustrating because like if you're breaking into it and you're not really coming about it from a traditional route, not meaning uh, you're alternative or whatever, but if, if you're coming about it from, from having these 
good ideas and you want to go all out and do stuff and try some different tactics, kind of what mainstream entities do. And people are like, oh, well, we can't really do what they're doing because they have this way and we have our way. It's kind of hard breaking through that. So I think your project does achieve that um, quite well. So it's it's a good thing that you have that strategy in place because I recommend to people, and you don't need me to recommend this to you. You seem to have it in the bag. You're partnering with Be Alive and all these other production companies and different types of entities. So you have a lot going for you, and and I'm really happy to see you guys succeed in that entity or in that uh, process, I should say. And uh, what would you say would be if you could bring on a – dream guest or someone you could profile who would you like to profile that you haven't profiled already that may be unobtainable or hard to reach but who who would be someone you you wish you could profile on oh man that's a good question and look firstly (laughs) i i appreciate everything you just said about the project and um you know we chose to we chose to be outside the box right we chose the the hard route um, and it, it is paying off and we're not doing it for the likes. We're not doing it for the followers. We're not doing it for infamy. We're not doing it for any of that. We're doing it to push good content out there consistently. So who would we get? Um, you know, I really want to showcase that hunting is for everyone, right? And and uh, Joanna Dart, who was one of our first seasons, said it so beautifully. She said, it doesn't matter, one of her lines, it doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter what you look like. And the third thing she said, it doesn't matter the bumper sticker that's on the back of your car. Huh. And that struck me so, so well that, um, you know, my ideal person would be a big mainstreamer, somebody who has massive influence to say, hey, I'm a hunter, and I'm okay with that. One of the things that we really want to accomplish with the project is reach into the mainstream to show, hey, there's these really famous people that hunt. And I think our project is the beautiful vehicle for somebody to be introduced to that concept because you can't slap a really big celebrity on a hunt killing something and then be okay with that being released. And I get that because it's business, right? It's going to hurt their image and their business. But a Blood Origins style of introduction to the broader mainstream about who they are, well, that's a little softer. That's a little bit more tangible. It's a little bit more emotional. So you said name one person. The person that I want is Chris Pratt. Oh, he would be good to profile. He's so fascinating because he really does live that lifestyle and he's been excoriated so much. Yep. But why, why Chris Pratt? Because he, he has, he's, I feel like anyone could like him and he's very personable and down to yep. earth. Is that kind of your thinking as to why you'd want to profile him? If you got yep. the opportunity? I think, I think he is genuine. I think he's authentic. I think that who you're going to get on an interview is the same person you get on TV screen. I think that, the fact that he reaches 30 million people doesn't hurt either. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, you know, that we've got so many good stories coming. Like a Chris Pratt would be awesome. I've got a guy, a professional surfer lined up in Hawaii who would be, is going to be amazing. Oh, um, that's cool. We've got just really cool stories. And, and this is what I want to do. I want to bring people in that you're like, whoa, you're not supposed to be a hunter and you're a hunter. Um, 
we just filmed a professional skateboarder out of Los Angeles who's a diehard hunter. Um, it, I, you know, it's just amazing how when you just start telling people stories that people start coming out the woodwork. And that's what we're finding with the Blood Origins Project is that a lot of people ask me this question about, like, how do you find your stories, right? Well, I don't have to find stories anymore because the family of Blood Origins that I've filmed already essentially become my champions to find the next story for me. So I ask anybody that I interview, okay, you're part of my family now. You're a part of our family. Who do we go after next? Who's the, who's the next cool story? And it could be Joe Blow down the street or it could be a real famous person. I don't care. You tell me. And that's how it works. <laughs> and do people come to you saying, like, you should profile this person at, at will, like on social media? Someone is like, oh, yeah. well, maybe you should profile this person. There's a lot of interest now with people sending yeah. you guys yeah. suggestions. Yeah, yeah. And it's worked cool. out beautifully because I'll tell you that, that that modus operandi works well because somebody's being selfless, right? But I've had lots of people come to me saying, hey, you should do my story. And that, that's obviously coming at the project from the wrong angle. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, of course, there, will, there are always opportunists, unfortunately, oh. that happen. But, but I, I have no doubt. I think people will uh, look beyond doing that, that type of opportunity and try to send you good content and, and good stories to yeah. profile. Um, and, and that happens with anything because people want their 15 minutes of fame and they're like, well, I want to have this because it's getting so much attention. But it's good you have a system in place where you can uh, prospect and and dig and find the right stories and connect with those uh, video subjects and and work it into your repertoire really well. So that's really awesome. That's a cool process to have. That that's good. It's sustainable enough where you guys have so many options to choose from that you're never going to have any shortage of uh, story ideas. That's right. And our tagline is: everyone has a story. It's very true. And everyone does have a story. Yes, yes. It, yeah, and so many stories don't get told, especially in hunting, which makes me angry at times because I have so many unique friends that come from hunting from a very different background. Uh, they maybe turned their life around and are doing really well now and started off not so well and just really different diverse backgrounds. I may even send you some subject matter experts and, and interesting story ideas for you because I think you would love – talking to some people that you may not know of that are in my network and who could help benefit your series really well. Well, I've already told you I need female veterans. Yes. <laughs> Which is hard to find because many of them. I told really you it's hunting. really hard I, to find. I know it is. There is a gal that I know of in Wisconsin who I could send your way. I have to double check if she actively goes hunting. She does go hunting. Uh, but I, I think she would be interesting. She, she looks kind of like a movie star. She's really pretty. She has a service dog. I think maybe she could be a good subject uh, for, need for the to be series. An active hunter. She just needs to understand hunting. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. No. I think I think this gal. We'll chat offline about this for sure. But Perfect. I think I, I think she she could be someone I can send your way to. I wanted to ask you what your general impressions are of America's conservation system in place through the North American model of wildlife conservation, especially as someone who wasn't born here and obviously enjoys hunting here in the United States, how does it compare to, let's say, hunting elsewhere? Is it a luxury? It's, is it one of the better systems in place? 
And how would you uh, and how would you say it compares to, let's say, that of South Africa or any other places you've hunted? Because I think so many people take for granted the conservation system we have in place. So I wanted to pick your thoughts as someone who has uh, been naturalized to the American way of life and who obviously partakes in hunting. I think your perspective, your thoughts on this would be really interesting. Yeah, and I, just to make you know to clarify, even though I was I was born in South. Oh, raised in South Africa. I never hunted in South Africa. Oh, My you family, okay. you know, I, I have a PhD in biology and was a professor in the wildlife fisheries department. So, you know, wildlife management is something that is near and dear to my heart. And so I think you're absolutely right. And, and hear this for somebody who's come from South Africa and has an idea of wildlife management systems around the world that, you know, stop and pinch yourself to what we have in the United States. And, and, and don't get me wrong, you know, it's it's beyond belief, essentially, in terms of the amount of resources, what you can do, and for the amount of money that you can do it for. The you know I'm, I feel privileged that I'm an American citizen now, and and I'm I'm able to raise my two boys in a wildlife management model that promotes the management of animals, promotes the sustainable population growth of animals. Um, and also, you know, recognizes when animals are in need uh, of, you know, further management that may not involve hunting. You know, when you look across the, the and, 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 and built into that model is the fact that the resource is ours, right? It's the American people's resource mm-hmm. and that there's public lands that anyone can access and that those lands are, are ours too, Um you know, South Africa, no public lands, no public season for hunting. Um, you know, it's all essentially a private land model, which is essentially like uh, Texas. But that private land model has essentially perpetuated and, and grown wildlife populations in South Africa. It's a different model. So in South Africa, there's no public lands. There's no public licenses. So essentially the private land model that is Texas exists across South Africa for hunting. Um, you know, not that it's a a bad model because South Africa really the you know growing up in a city like I did, you know, hunting is you don't think about hunting; it's just not something you think about. And so, there's not people desperately looking for public land to hunt like here in in America. So that model there has has done really well. It's flourished wildlife over the last sixty years. It's taken wildlife from two and a half million to twenty two million animals, and so. It's a definitely a different model of wildlife conservation, but you know, coming back to what we have here in in the United States, it's again you've got to pinch yourself because if you don't have the perspective like that I have in terms of where I came from, then you don't recognize that it's an incredible blessing that you can throw a gun in your truck or car drive up the road 30 minutes and get out with that same weapon, load it and go hunt something. That's almost unheard of. It is unheard of. Where else could you do something like that? New Zealand, maybe. Definitely New Zealand, but probably nowhere else in the world. I can't think of any other country where you can do that. (laughs) I haven't hunted abroad but I, I've heard from friends that have said there's no other country conceivable that that does that aside from us. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's unique, and 
I think the more people start recognizing it and start realizing what we have, the more the loss of it <laughs> will almost sink home. Yeah, hunting has a lot of threats here in the United States, and we've talked a little bit about that. And I think you would ask me about uh, the Cecil Bill, which relates to, I think, was it African imports? Yep. Uh, yeah, it relates to that. So I wanted to ask you, because I think this is a very uh, interesting question, and a lot of people, I know hunters are divided on what is defensible and what's not defensible in terms of legal hunting, but I think you and I are similarly minded where we're uh, where you probably believe that uh, defending all types of hunting can be hard. Do you have any reservations about defending all types of hunting as long as it's done legally and ethically? Uh, do you think that there's a utility behind it? Is, is it important to defend all? Because I know some people don't want to defend predator hunting. They don't do anything aside from bow hunting. Uh, I, I, I'm of the mind that you should defend everything as long as it's done ethically and and consciously and within within the North American model of wildlife conservation uh, there. So, so what are your thoughts on hunting? Is, is all of it defensible, even the so-called controversial types? Yeah. Should it be defensible? Yeah. Yeah, I think it is defensible, and it's defensible from multiple reasons. The, the first and probably the foremost is tied to the North American wildlife model, which is the management of that species. I think that it's it's almost a little short-sighted when people say, well, humans shouldn't be managing that system or shouldn't be managing that species. Well, humans have been managing this land, this landscape, this world for eons. And so to think that anthropogenically we don't have an influence on that population or that species through habitat modification or habitat restriction or uh, population dynamics is very, very short-sighted. And so hunting as a management tool is important. Um, but I'm, I'm with you in that hunting that when it's legal and practiced under the constraints of the regulations enforced mm-hmm. either federally or, or from a state perspective, mm-hmm. that's what, you know, is legal. And so we'll, I will defend hunting that is legal. I will add a caveat, though, in that tied to this project is the idea of changing the narrative around who we are as hunters and why we hunt. And so when it comes to hunting, especially the more controversial animals like predators, like bears, it's Mm -hmm. vital that the complete story is broadcast. Um, I think the idea of a single trophy shot with that animal and the hunter smiling you know, doesn't do us justice. It doesn't do that individual justice for everything that that individual went through in order to take that photograph. And so the context behind the why is something we're getting better at, but I think it's something that we need to do a lot better job in in doing, especially in this day and age of social media. And so I'll say that the why is very important behind the hunting to communicate to those that don't quite understand. Uh, I will say, secondly, that may be a little bit more controversial, which is I heard a very uh, a very good friend of mine in Denmark say, and he used it in the, in the gun context, but I'll put it in the hunting mm. context, that I'm pro-hunting. 
I'm not pro stupid. <laughs> I think most of us are that way too. <laughs> and so, you know, I don't think, you know, I can't remember where it was or who said, it. I think it was the Sportsman Alliance had a very good response to this idea of calling people out on social media for doing wow. ridiculous things. I don't think mm-hmm. we should do that. I think that's divisive. Um, though, you know, as, as you know, a, an educational DM maybe about, hey, you know, would have loved to see the the build up to that photograph, or would have loved to understand more behind that photograph, would get them thinking and planting seeds in their brains instead of coming across in an accusatorial type manner. So, if someone posts like a unsavory type photo. Is that uh, I, I've heard that some people were doing that recently. Is that what you're alluding to? A few people, some influencers were posting some kind of unsavory photos. Is that what you recommend? Sometimes, privately, yeah, some, yeah privately DM them and them? say, yeah, privately DM them like, man, I wish I, you know I'd learned to, and I knew a little bit more about it. You were talking about uh, people uh, going about criticism on social media from a more private perspective, right? Yeah, no, I was just saying that instead of being divisive, in which is probably our first reaction, um, you know, we could privately DM and just say, hey, you know, would have loved to learn a little bit more about that hunt or that kill and, and what it meant to you. And um, I think, as I said, I think that the tide is turning. I think that we've been indoctrinated into a certain genre of how we're supposed to represent ourselves on social media given what the outdoor industry was was all about but nowadays Mm -hmm. things are changing and i think that the tide is changing and i think that um i think that i am i am more positive than ever about who we're starting to be represented by and how we're starting to be represented online yeah, it's it's always a, a topic of discussion. Certainly, it, it it springs that type of discussion out there, and everyone has something to say about has a perspective. And I think some people do become too critical to the point of like they're attacking good people. There's obviously a time and a place to attack people who just series after series have very unethical shots, and someone should like privately sit them down and say like, "Hey, what are you doing?" But like when that mockery maybe it's out of like jealousy there is one particular account i'm thinking of i just saw something where it attacked someone who's legit and not a phony and i was like this is too much like i understand poking fun at people criticizing it but like going after good people and that's when you completely lose the purpose or defeat the purpose of, of doing that but no i i i'm of the mindset if you have gripes with someone deal with it privately like anything that's how it should be done you don't let it sit and simmer and let abusive or bad stuff go out there. Um, and hopefully people will listen if they get nudged a bit and, and tenderly told that uh, you should go about your conduct a little differently or you shouldn't lambast people openly. So, there, yeah, there, there are extremes where people do too much and then there are people who are too critical. I think on either end it can be a problem. But right. I think you're absolutely right that people are more serious about getting away from the noise and just – to the intent and purpose of being involved in the outdoor industry or living out their hunting, fishing lifestyle. Exactly. 
more so. In terms of blood origins and the future of the project, do you guys anticipate, does your company anticipate expanding or perhaps getting the show picked up by a bigger outlet? What are kind of some uh, mm. short-term and long-term plans that you guys have or, or goals you want to meet? Yeah, you know, it's such a good question. And I get asked the question like more often than you think, uh, which is a good thing, right? Um, in my heart of hearts, I would love to keep doing what we're doing. Um, I think, you know, producing 20 to 30 stories a year, uh, four to five journeys a year is ideal. It remains a passion project. It remains fun. It remains engaging. You know, would I say no to a Netflix saying, hey, we'd love to put Blood Origins on Netflix? Man, that would be a bridge that I'd have to cross when that <laughs> happens. Um, would I be absolutely humbled if somebody came to us and said, hey, we want to assimilate you into our production company or our organization? Again, I would be humbled. Um, but... I'd have to ensure if that was going to happen, I'd have to ensure that the creative control of blood origins of the message of blood origins didn't change. That is a, yeah. That's a good concern to have because you want to have control over your content, not have someone come in like any project. You don't want to have people swoop in and take ownership of your project, your baby essentially. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, so then, who knows? Uh, who knows? Yeah. We are, you know, we're just, we're, we're very content where we are right now. Um, we're always looking for good stories. We're always looking for good partners. I, you know, we, we're not, right now, we haven't gotten a lot of funding in the door for the project. Um, love to get more funding in, but I'm also very wary of the people that we partner with in terms of receiving that funding. I'm not going to cater to the the industry model, which is 30 to 40 partners and the mm. message gets diluted because yes. I've just got advertising everywhere. Um, I'd rather have no advertising and push out the message and, and look for one or two very strong partners that understand the purpose of what we're trying to do and know that it's for our future and, and the growing our community and, and delivering a message that would sustain our lifestyle and if they get that and they get what that means to them and and how our project is benefiting that aspect of our lifestyle then they'll get behind us that's a good maxim to have i like that a lot i want to be able to send people your way through this podcast and uh, through my social media channels so i want to give you this uh these final moments to give your pitch on how people can find you, why they should support you and where they can connect with you. So what are the options for people to do that, to find more about uh, blood origins and to connect with you guys, potentially support you and uh, get you guys out there more. What can people do to support you guys? Super easy uh, at blood origins across all social media platforms, except Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, you can Google Blood Origins. Uh, and to support us, just interact with us. You know, tell our story. Tell everyone else's stories. That's what our project's about. If you see a good story, tell your friends about it. Because they deserve their story to be broadcast far and wide. 
Excellent. And any other ways that people can, if people wanted to support you guys financially, not so much a partnership, but I know I have no doubt people probably have asked you for GoFundMe's or those types of outlets. Are, are there means like that where people can support you if there was an option, a Patreon account or a GoFundMe or Indiegogo? No. No, no we, haven't, we haven't done one of those yet. Um, I, again, I've been very cautious about doing something like that. Um, it don't, we have, it's not that I haven't thought about it. <laughs> sure. um, I just want to be true to who we are. And as soon as we open the doors to a GoFundMe or something like that, and we start laying out some expectations, then we, we may change the narrative around who we are right now. So right now we don't have any of those, those, uh, GoFundMe supporting Patreon type campaigns. Um, but if people are interested in, in figuring out ways to partner with us, um, reach out through Instagram or Facebook or email us uh, through the website. And, uh, you know, we'd love to hear from you. Beautiful. Robbie, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a joy talking to you even more through something like this. So I, I admire your work. I really like it. I'm not the biggest fish in the pond, but uh, I hope that uh, my reassurance and whatever praise I can wield to you guys can help you guys get out there to more people. I want my follower. I have a, a good footprint enough in, in, <laughs> across different spheres, but I really like, I, I do. My goal is to get, not to promote myself, like, oh, I'll post things about what I do in events, but I'm really all about elevating people. And I'm, I'm very happy that I can elevate your story elevate your projects and, and elevate this cause just because I, I think that storytelling video storytelling, especially can really change hearts and minds. It's, it's getting there and it's on the cusp of doing that, but you have something very beautiful in place. And I hope you guys continue to succeed. If you ever need my input for anything, I'm happy to participate. If you want to ever do a media segment, if you want to do bear stories, you should talk to the guys at Western bear foundation. They would be really cool to interview. Awesome. Well, look, and, I, uh, I, I appreciate you and I appreciate yes, the time and I appreciate the kind words. Very absolutely. Nice. I will send you some good story ideas, but any way I can help and contribute, I will absolutely do that. And we'll have to sit down to do a sporting classics interview. I know we talked about that, but we'll certainly get, I'll get you out there more as best as I can. And for listeners out there, I highly recommend you guys do follow the work of blood origins, connect with Robbie. You're not going to regret it. He has something really special going on in the outdoor industry, which is hard to say because there's a lot going on and a lot of it is not really conducive to conservation or the greater cause. And Robbie and Blood Origins really have something good happening. And, and I want to continue, I, I think it's going to continue to flourish. So Robbie, thank you again for coming on to District of Conservation. And I hope people check you guys out in any forthcoming documentaries that you guys have. Thank you so much. And videos. Yes. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Robbie and learned more about Blood Origins. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Episodes drop each Tuesday and you can listen to it there or find us on anchor.fm to never miss an episode. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to always learn about upcoming guests and special updates regarding the podcast. Thank you again and be sure to subscribe, download and leave feedback if you're interested.